Hi, and welcome to the Denmark Game Changers podcast, the weekly podcast focusing on Denmark and the Nordic startup tech ecosystem. I'm your host, James Digby, and we'll discuss insights with founders, VCs, leading figures from corporate tech giants and the governmental sector to give you a snapshot and to find out what will change the game for Denmark and the Nordic startup scene. In this week's episode, recorded live in association with Tech Barbecue 2019, we're joined by Bjorn Glevind, Head of Business Development at New Rescue, where he shares his journeyman story of doing projects in Malaysia and New York through to coming home and working with one of the leading medical minds in Denmark. It was a fascinating session that shows the true highs and lows of entrepreneurship and what can come from perseverance. Enjoy the conversation. We're back live at Tech Barbecue. Um, I'm, I've got a, actually quite a nice session with me next. I've got a good friend of mine, um, Bjorn. I've known for many, many years, but I'm going to let him do the introduction. Um, and you know, we're going to take another session as we've done throughout this morning. Thank you, thank you for having me, James. Ah, pleasure, Bjorn. Um, yeah. So, a little bit about me. I'm uh, currently the Business Development Director at New Rescue, which is a Danish medical device company, yeah. and uh, have previously worked with uh, with entrepreneurship for the last five years, basically since I finished my education at Copenhagen Business School. So you went from studying straight into entrepreneurship. Um, mm-hmm. What what kind of led you down that path? Um, that's a good question. So actually, what happened was that in uh, in Copenhagen and in Denmark in general, we're very we're very lucky. Basically, right? We have uh, the universities have a lot of partnership with partnerships with other universities around the world. So this is also the same universities that paid you to study for the entire time that you were there. Exactly. Not even right. like you know you have to work for it. You you paid to be a student. Exactly. From when so you turn eighteen years in Denmark, then you get a scholarship. Basically, about slightly less than a thousand dollars a month to study right given that you we talked about the benefits uh with tech eu earlier on about the governments and what they do mm. and the role that they have mm. about mm. letting people mm. express themselves yeah. i forgot to mention this one <laughs> this, is, this a, is a big one right this is a huge, uh, huge enabler of people being able to focus either on their studies or on other things that they they want to pursue their passions right. uh, which can lead them i think in the right direction of, of where they ultimately are going wow um, and for me, that meant that I was, uh, instead of pursuing all of these amazing partnerships at universities, uh, with this scholarship, I was able to pursue uh, working almost for free, I'd say, in Malaysia at an incubator. So had you ever been to Malaysia beforehand? No, no, no. Had you ever been to Asia beforehand? Like, I've been uh, to okay, so. Asia. I'd lived in China for a few months studying Chinese uh, in a sabbatical year. So you kind of wanted to go back over there and you had the opportunity to kind of jump yeah. into But Malaysia's not the, the typical space, right? There's Singapore, there's Thailand, yeah. there's Indonesia, there's all these yeah. other places before I yeah. Malaysia. I didn't know a lot about Malaysia. Uh, no. One of the f- interesting things that I looked into before venturing to Malaysia, and this was in 2014, was that Malaysia at the time had one of the highest in- internet penetration growth rates in the world. No. So it meant that millions of people were joining the internet uh, every year, which obviously for for a Western European guy like myself was interesting because we had had uh, that infrastructure in Europe for many years, and a lot of the things that were sort of given and norm to us, granted, we could yeah. take that into uh, some of these markets and uh, and scale them and uh, and see people jumping on them very quickly. 
Okay, so looking at that opportunity, like yeah. even at this moment, I thought I think the last report says like 150,000 people in South Asia, East, East Asia, every single day go yeah. online for the first time yeah. in their life. I think that's every 24 hours. That's uh, Indonesia is a huge uh, factor there currently. Uh, Malaysia has now, I would say, without being uh, smart on the exact numbers, I think that Malaysia has gotten pretty, pretty well. Uh, uh, onto the internet. Uh, one of the interesting things when we when we yeah. when we came to uh, when I came to Malaysia, one of the interesting things and one of the sort of the classic buzzwords in in uh, in developing nations is the is the term leapfrogging, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't necessarily go through all the uh, all the the sort of traditional technology. Like you didn't stages. have to go for like the the copper wire, then you put exactly. then, then you know dig that up yeah, again, put exactly. another wire down, yeah, then you yeah, dig that up again, exactly. and then fiber. Then. Yeah. So for instance, and that's exactly the example, right? So in Denmark, we still don't have uh, fiber optic cables e- everywhere. But when I came to Malaysia in 2014, that was the norm that they had yeah. fiber optic cables. And it's vastly a much larger country. With so, yeah. The abilities of yeah. all these other bits in it between. Was super impressive. I was super impressed. Um, so basically, uh, I moved to Malaysia uh, on an internship, basically became a business development manager at a startup and yeah. also started working with a lot of other startups, started coaching them uh, in terms of how to pitch, how to build their pitch decks, um, how to raise money. And uh, that was, yeah, it, it was it was something that really got my heart pumping. And I saw kind of leading into entrepreneurship then yeah, for the first time and exactly, just saying, yeah. actually, this is something that is interesting now. Were you exposed to entrepreneurship beforehand? Did that make sense? Or? Um, I had, I tried to build a startup in high school, actually. It didn't go too well. Uh, it was <laughs> what, a, was the name of the hi- what was the name of the startup? It was Ubank. Ubank? Yeah, it was a fintech startup. And we actually got Hedensbanken interested and also had uh, some big uh, lawyer partners involved. But this then the financial, high school? Yeah, but the financial crisis happened. And then everything in 2008 phew, plummeted. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, so that was my short experience with uh, entrepreneurship in high school. I went to a few talks with uh, Martin Torborg, who's this famous Danish entrepreneur. He started UB back in the day, and I remember that was the early, very early stage of, of ins- like very pure inspiration for me. Yeah. This this could be interesting. This could actually be a sustainable lifestyle. You could actually earn. Uh, money from doing this, you know, starting companies and stuff. It wasn't really something that uh, was uh, normal for me because in my family, my mom was in finance, my dad was in shipping. So they're pretty kind of traditional yeah, businesses and traditional trades stuff. to go yeah, into, right? Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> People always need to move money around. People always need to move things around exactly. <laughs> because they're moving money around. It's, it's a nice kind of situation. You know, I like it. Yeah. But from there, then, so. But unlike many other expats that go to Southeast mm, Asia mm, mm. and see and experience, you didn't stay. You, did you have to come I back? Or I you? couldn't, yeah. I had to come back to Copenhagen Business School, finish my studies, write my bachelor thesis. Yeah. Uh, when I came back, I had been exposed to working really hard and I was I was at the same time, I was very driven. Yeah. So I came back with a very, very strong desire to build just to build. Uh, I also So you didn't know what you wanted to build? No. You, you kind of, but you just had this passion of saying... <laughs> Okay, I need to get something happening, yeah. but I don't know Something what. has to move. And I think that the fact that in Denmark, when I had left uh, before Malaysia, when I had left for Malaysia, I was a traditional bachelor student that was working in student positions and companies. When I then joined these startups, I was suddenly the director. I was able to yeah, knock yeah. down doors and uh, and really book meetings with some super, super important and powerful people. I had meetings with CEOs and CMOs of some of the biggest companies in, in, in Southeast Asia. Did that, was that like a light switch? You kind of just clicked and went, wow, actually, that th- this is a really nice feeling. And yeah. it, or, or this is actually empowering to say, 
it was super I didn't empowering. realize that, yeah. that you know yeah, this it was could super, happen yeah super empowering feeling to feel that you know I don't have to go the traditional career ladder uh, in a normal corporate mm-hmm. I can actually go straight to the top and if the idea is good enough and if the uh, the thought processes are well thought out mm-hmm. uh, people will actually listen and there will actually be a, a chance to execute at a much more efficient level than having to you know spend 10 years in some company climbing some traditional ladder right so that got me really turned on and yeah. uh, so when i came back to denmark i started pursuing those opportunities met a uh, a 10 year older uh, friend uh, now friend of mine i didn't know him at the time oscar and uh, he had been working in uh, in startups and venture capital for 10 years and he had a new idea for building a new uh, online uh, platform yeah and uh, he needed a co-founder what was it that 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 made you say I want to join this particular person was it the idea was mm. it the, the vision that he mm. gave mm. which what was at, at the time of course like, a good question know. I had a lot of different opportunities actually I think I had four or five different opportunities yep. I had something with Rocket Internet I had something with Uber in Vietnam mm-hmm. I had something with some other Danish entrepreneurs that wanted to build platforms in Denmark but Oscar was very geared towards the US market and that was something from for some reason to me yep. that really uh, you know, again, got my 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 blood pumping. Um, I think the the thought that he had a lot of experience with uh, venture capital in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. was something that I I really wanted to explore. Uh, so we started building the platform. We hacked some very very simple cheap stuff together in uh, I, I usually say in a basement in Copenhagen, and then in uh, three or four months. But it was a basement in Copenhagen. A basement it, of a villa in Copenhagen. <laughs> it, w- so. it was partly partly in, in villa basements, partly <laughs> yeah. in, in Fredericksburg at the at the Copenhagen School of Entrepreneurship. Yeah. And um, and then we in three or four months we had uh, enough revenue to actually raise a uh, a small uh, pre-seed round from an accelerator in uh, in New York, and then we thereby moved to New York. So you had the opportunity then uh, yeah. to take your company and, and your idea from Denmark into New York and, and kind of living the dream at the moment. Exactly. Totally the, living the dream, yeah. Doesn't sound like the same company that you're working with now though, right? So that's... That, they're that, different that, It was a dream. Yeah, and, yeah. But, something happened, yeah. You know, and seeing and, and feeling, you know, the, what could happen and seeing that go away. Yeah. At what point did you also say, I needed to stop? Um, well, I mean, we were living the dream, the classic entrepreneurial dream. We went to New York, scaled the company, uh, went to Silicon Valley, raised more money there, uh, scaled the company further. And then we did some stupid mistakes. I think just classic mistakes where we weren't uh, factoring in the cost acquisition for our customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and it, it, like long story short, all of a sudden, we didn't have as much run rate as we thought. And it was difficult yeah. to suddenly raise money. We thought that we had eight months to prove some things that we had agreed with some VC funds that we were going to prove. And suddenly we had two months runway and then it was very difficult. Uh, the company yeah. is still alive today and Oscar has been able to get it out of the uh, the pits that we were in basically. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I just couldn't uh, see that for myself. Um, of course, it's what your first real venture out yeah. into to what was going on. Yeah. So you also, you know, having the opportunity then to say you know I, I this can't go on i don't want to live in this way or i, I you know i i feel that i my energy needs to be replenished and and find yeah. another path again i think that for a lot of people i would always recommend this and i did that myself when i initially started embarking on my journey with oscar it was from the motivation of learning mm-hmm. I, w- I i i found somebody whose wing i could be under and yeah. i could learn a lot after a year a year and a half working with him uh, I felt that I had learned so much, and uh, and at the same time, when the company started stagnating a bit, I didn't see my learning curve um, giving yield that I was looking for okay. for so the next 
I, and I couldn't see that yield uh, getting high enough for what I was looking for for the next one to two years in the future. So yeah. I was essentially, I mean, you can get very blindsided by uh, talking about valuations and billions of dollars and all that stuff. So for, for a while, I think I was blindsided. That was what was driving me. Yeah. But in the end, when I looked myself in the mirror after a year and a half, the company was stagnating a bit. Um, I looked at my own learning curve and I could see actually what I initially went into this for, I'm not getting anymore. I'm not learning as much. Yeah. So I went back to Denmark and connected with an old entrepreneurial friend of mine. We knew each other through a inter- international network called Kairos, which is mm-hmm. a, a, a network for young uh, aspiring entrepreneurs that want to change the world. Did you join Kairos before yeah, or after? I, I joined Kairos when I was in, in, in Copenhagen Business School. But, um, so before you left Malaysia or afterwards? So like, you know, that was after I came home from Malaysia. So you had the energy and you went, okay, I need to find a network. Sorry, that was like before this. I went to Malaysia. Okay. I remember that I looked for a chapter in Malaysia. There wasn't one. There was one in Singapore. Right. Yeah. But Kairos, very short, uh, global, super cool organization yeah. of young people, uh, 18 to 25 years old. They're looking to change the world in a positive way, impact the world in a way that either is through healthcare, education, sustainable technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really, really interesting and something that I resonated a lot uh, with. And I think that when I left New York and went back to Denmark uh, and, and I connected with my good friend and, and today colleague Habib, um, mm. that was that was something that really, again, got my adrenaline pumping. Again, because I could take all the learnings that I'd had yeah. from the US and implement them into the situation which Habib was in and help him and at the same time learn so much. And working with, <coughs> with someone like Habib, and I think you know, yeah. for those that don't know, Habib is... Yeah. I would say one of the the geniuses of this country, and he he yeah. really is pushing the boundaries of what needs to be done. I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think some of the stats. You know, he's one of the youngest. He was the MDs. youngest youngest to graduate as a as an MD in Denmark. Yeah, at the time, uh, twenty three yeah. years old. I think that that which is in Denmark is very young. Yeah. Not a bad stamp, right? Yeah. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> and bad. considering the fact that you get paid to study, and he fast tracked that. Yes, I mean <laughs> that, that that says everything about it, right? <laughs> Um, so you know, with New Rescue now, you guys have keep going on to, to, to new heights, and yeah. you keep seeing. Yeah. Um, you've I just saw that you raised uh, just recently as well, and, and had a, a nice small little bridge round. Yeah. Uh, we've raised, I think, if you include soft funding, so grants from the we raised a big grant from the EU, the yep. SME instrument. Uh, we've raised a total of around seventy million uh, krona, or you know, a little more than. 10 million dollars or 11 or 12 million dollars was that in grants alone or is that through investments as well that's including everything we've got including everything yeah. you got so you, you kind of built this war chest together because yeah. for those that, that don't know new rescue is a very specific company yeah. and yeah. maybe you want to share a yeah, little bit about just that just shortly what we're doing um so basically maybe the classic elevator pitch uh i'll present the problem first uh, today one out of ten survive cardiac arrest it's the largest killer in the world basically uh, it, in the U.S. alone, uh, it costs two more than two million life years uh, lost uh, wow. a per year, uh, and cardiac arrest hasn't really seen any particular innovation or increase in uh, survival for the last forty years since the invention of the uh, automatic defibrillator, mm-hmm. the AED that you see hanging all around the yep. uh, uh, you know cities. So Habib was in the ambulance working as an uh, emergency physician. Uh, in the last year of medical school and he was very appalled by the survival rates and he really wanted to do something because the fact is um, 
often the underlying cause for the cardiac arrest, you will have amazing treatment offers in the hospitals. No. Uh, but the fact is that we don't have time. You know, you have 20 minutes uh, to to resuscitate a person, and, and after 20 minutes, the doctors will, following the guidelines, uh, 20 to 25 minutes, they will stop resuscitating the person because they haven't uh, received enough oxygen to their to their brain, right? So they yeah. will stop, and and that doesn't allow us to to currently. Uh, make these patients reach more definitive treatments that could help them out. Uh, personally, when I was 16 years old, I lost my own father to cardiac arrest and no. raced home from school because uh, my brother called me and tried to resuscitate my father and, and it, it didn't work. And uh, and Habib has sin- since come up with a device that uh, is, we call it the rescue device. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> um, yeah. And we didn't spend on the marketing yet, but we get that. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we had a, a few other names, but it also has to be something that the FDA is happy about. So we always. So you didn't get to choose the name, basically. No, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we had other suggestions that we at least were told not to choose. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's is, very FDA-like, fine, right, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So you know, with that in mind, I mean, like, so this device, I think, you know, yeah. is something that. Going into the hardware side is that it takes, I'm guessing, a lot of energy and a lot of effort to get it through into the marketplace. It's not like oh, yeah. a SaaS product no. or something else where, you, you know, even a typical hardware product. This exactly. is now involving with, with medical devices and with life sciences mm-hmm. and kind of, as you mentioned, FDA approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that has to come into the mix yeah. as well. And, and that's it, why I think in general, life science, uh, if we're talking biotech life science, it's even, you got to put even more zeros behind the figures. Mm-hmm. But in medtech, medical te- technology and devices, you, you, you see typically larger rounds, uh, larger fundraising activities than than for virtual startups where you can build all of it virtually, right? Uh, here we have a lot of regulations that we have to uh, abide to, and that is uh, cumbersome in terms of fundraising as well. But you know, but then the returns potentially are much bigger That's as well very true. on the other side, yes. and the you don't see a lot of companies staying in business for a long time in life sciences once the product is at market you would say well yeah that's typically then they would then be bought up after a short time in market or available to market by someone else very true so you know it's a very consolidated industry it's a different industry of what you can look for and the the marketplace isn't there to, to really build would you suggest to entrepreneurs looking out there and seeing you know life sciences as a way forward you know, or would you really have to kind of have to have someone within the industry that, that is? I would encourage a lot of people to. Uh, I mean, if they are passionate about life science, uh, I think in general, uh, in our company, we really embrace uh, multi uh, background teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have any experience in life science personally or mm-hmm. education-wise. I came from building an online platform, uh, which was a marketplace for charter buses, and before <laughs> that, I was uh, dealing with uh, tech startups in Malaysia. So, I mean, in general, um, I've had to study up a lot. And, uh, I mean, obviously, we do have a lot of doctors. And Habib is the driving force in the rescue, who's and he's an MD. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of other cases, super interesting cases, of people that have no background in medicine or biotech that have just studied up really, really hard. And they have, you know, I think that, and this is not to be too cliche, but Elon Musk is a good example. He's a, uh, a trained uh, engineer, basically. And he's able to motivate people that are specialists yeah. to join him. And when you can motivate people, the right people, you can build anything. So it doesn't really, you know, on that side, really interesting to see. I mean, like ultimately looking at it is that the industry itself, it, it's thriving at the moment. There are so yeah. many um, ways of 
utilizing technology yeah. to get yourself much further yeah. forward. But you're still doing trials. We're doing on... trials, yeah. We we are about to launch our trial in Denmark yeah. on Danish patients in January. So, but beforehand, though, so you yeah. you, should, you had to do your trials on pigs, We've right? We've done a lot of pig testing, yeah, yeah. That's and um, for the vegans out there and vegetarians. We're very sorry, but uh, in ethics, it's what you call consequential ethics. So, yeah. if we we can test it on a few pigs and that can save millions of people, that's sort of the justification. So that's another episode yeah. that we won't get into yes. today. I'm yes. certainly Thank you. sure. Thank you for that. No, no, I certainly appreciate, appreciate that. Um, but ultimately, is that. You know, I think going into that that space is also very different. You went from SaaS product to then mm. deep mm. research and mm. industry, mm. but then you also saw the benefits from that as well. Yeah. Getting grants, getting oh, yeah. access, and then yeah. I mean, do you see a different type of investor that came in? I guess uh, yeah, it's a very very interesting question actually. So what we've seen is that when we initially went out to fundraise for the rescue, the first sort of large round we had. We connected with a lot of what I would call traditional, typical Danish angels with uh, with deep pockets. And over the time, uh, what we've seen over the years since that round, a lot of those angels, I think, have, have felt really good about the investment they made into mm. New Rescue. It's sort of, you know, the term has been uh, blossoming the last few years, impact, <laughs> yeah. in, in, impact investing. Uh, so a lot of our angels that were very much traditional angels, they have, I think, started looking more towards uh, which of the uh, 17 SDGs from the UN yeah. does this uh, startup uh, you know, comply with or fulfill because uh, doing uh, business can also be good business you know, for the, for the world. And, um, and I think we are a good example of that as well. This is interesting as well because I think you know, when people talk about impact investing, they go, yeah. "Okay, yeah. so it's about the the homeless guys that they kind of have this small solution for this area here." Yeah. Or I think you know, social entrepreneurship gets yeah. mixed in with impact a lot. Yeah. And I think impact oh, yeah. stands should stand on itself and say, "Well, it, it's, it spreads and goes across a variety of different things. You've yeah. got to define that impact of what you want to do." Yeah. With yourselves, it's a lot clearer. Yeah. You're going to be able to yeah. increase the yeah. success. Of treatment of heart for heart attacks mm. en route within yeah. a short space yeah. of time. I mean, I was part of starting an organization in in, in the Nordics called the Nordic Impact Investment yeah. Network, and what we 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 discussed a lot in the during the inception of the organization, we discussed a lot what defines impact. And my own personal opinion is that because one of the STGs is economic empowerment. Mm-hmm. which basically you could then justify anything. Right. Uh, you could say that Alibaba has been a impact startup because they have given thousands of people jobs, millions of people jobs, and lifted yeah. them out of poverty. Uh, but it's not what I would traditionally call an impact startup. For me, impact starts with the motivation of the entrepreneur who starts the company. So that it, they have to be mission-driven yeah. from they the start to, as, a, as, a, as a person. They have to not be focused on how can I find a problem that can serve me money, that they have to be focused on how can I solve this problem, and then the byproduct of that is potentially revenue and money and profits. Nice. That's that's what to me defines impact. Well, I think we're gonna have another episode for one on this, but for today, Bjorn, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, James. It's Appreciate been it. a pleasure and glad to hear your story, and uh, good luck with New Rescue. Appreciate it. I doubt that you guys did it though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We hope we hope uh, everything will go as we uh, planned for. Oh. Fantastic. Thanks thank again, Thanks again to Bjorn and Tech Barbecue for hosting our podcasting stage studio. It was great to hear his journey of finding a way of helping people not go through the same experiences that he had to. And a good reminder to us all that life is short, and if possible, we should be looking to see what we can do to make the world a better place, wherever it means that we can contribute. 
Until next time, I'm James Digby, and you've been listening to the Danish Game Changers podcast by Startup42 Media.